Heritage Sunday here on Hilton Head Island, and uh, I just want to welcome you guys to the room. Thank you guys so much for being here in this place, for being uh, a part of Backstage Patio. Thank you guys who are joining on the Backstage Patio, listening and watching. And for those of you who are online, thank you guys for being a part of it online. And why don't we here in the house give it up for those guys who are in the back and those who are online. Thank you guys so much for being a part. It is Heritage Sunday, and many of you probably have been to the tournament. Some of you may be like, I hope you don't go long today because I want to be there. Uh, or you've got lunch plans or maybe a little bit of both. And uh, we went on Friday. One of my favorite players, one of my favorite PGA Tour players has always been Stuart Sink, who is leading the tournament. I love it. And yeah, absolutely. Give it up. First time and last time I'll ever clap for a Georgia Tech grad. All right. So being a Georgia guy, uh, but all my favorite golfers seem to be from Georgia Tech for some reason. But uh, anyway, uh, it's really, really great to see that um, man who's Lord and uh, open about his faith. Absolutely love to see that. So let's be rooting for him uh, today. Uh, but it was interesting. We were there on Friday, Cynthia and Sean and myself. We were there on Friday, and I love watching these guys. I love watching how they play. I'm a golfer. I've played golf since I was three years old. But man, I'm just in awe, like all the time. I'm just in awe of how good they are, right? They are so incredibly, their swing, it looks nothing like mine. And the results, most of the time, look nothing like mine. It's incredible. But we were on a few, uh, few holes, and there were a few times that a couple of the players hit a bad shot, right? Now, that, their bad shot was like, would be my best shot that day, right? But they hit a bad shot. And, and I love this about golf, and I love it about um, how it relates to life and how this is in, 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 in life and in the world and in other sports, is that so much of what they go through in those 18 holes, and if some of you play golf, you know this, is just all about recovery, it's all about the bounce back, right? You hit a bad shot, and you move on. And I watch their facial expressions, and I watch their just kind of their whole demeanor, right? When they hit a bad shot, what I call, you know, what they would call a bad shot. It, for the good ones, man, it doesn't phase them at all. They just move on. They go to the next shot, they, they're talking to their caddy, they're, they're looking at the next shot, they've, they've already moved on, like psychologically in their minds and in, in their bodies, they're ready for that next shot, they've already moved on. And if for me and all those cameras and all those people were watching, the cameras were on me, I would, you know, I'd hang my head in shame, like, man, I can't believe I just topped it, you know, out of that sand trap, 175 yards. I'd be happy with that, right? But, you know, that's their, their thing, right? But they just move on. They don't hang their head in shame. And I got to tell you, Christ follower, that is a great picture of the way that we should be in our faith walk. We shouldn't hold our head in shame, but so often Christians live with this weight, this heavy, heavy weight of shame that Jesus has already taken the results all the consequences with him on the cross and in the grave, into that tomb. And he carried that shame so that you don't have to carry it anymore. We're in this series called Raised to Life, and, and we're in week four or five. Next week, we round this out, and we're going to be celebrating uh, with baptism. I'll tell you about more about that here in a few minutes um, next week. But, but we've used this as our springboard verse, and I want to go here this morning. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, he is talking about baptism, but he's talking about the new life in Christ. And he's talking about the fact that we don't have to live in shame anymore. 
We don't have to live in shame anymore. He says this. He said, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Remember when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross? That's what he was talking about right here. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The Apostle Paul here is saying that we no longer have to be beholden to our sin, but he's also talking about the consequences of sin and shame and guilt are a couple of the consequences of sin. See, when he talks about that old life, he's not just talking about the old sin, the old patterns, the old behaviors. He's also talking about the old consequences of all of it. And he said it's been put to death. In fact, when we baptize next Sunday out on the beach at Caligny, it might be a little chilly. That's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. All right? And it's not that cold. There are not that many people there, all right? But it's going to be great because what we do is when we baptize, we baptize you and we say this. You don't hear part of it because you're under the water for a few minutes. I'm just kidding, for a few seconds, all right? For a second, all right? So we say we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And what that means, Christ followers, that is a picture of what Christ did for you, but it's a picture of the life that you can now live. You can move past the bad shot without any shame, and focus your eyes on the next thing. The problem is, is the evil one wants to steal any joy that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. John chapter 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to kill, or to steal, and to kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life, that you may have life, that I may have life, and have it abundantly. Some of your translations might say to its full. I love that too. That's why Jesus came. The enemy steals, he kills, and he destroys. And in his effort to steal and to kill and destroy your life, Satan is going to attack your joy. He's going to go after any joy that you may have in life, and he's going to do it relentlessly. He's going to do it ferociously. He's going to come after you hard. And two of Satan's most effective tools are shame and guilt. Those are the two most effective things. I want you to think about it for a moment. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, whether you've asked Jesus to be your Savior or not, I want you to think about when you've made a mistake in your life. Sometimes the hardest part of the mistake that you've made is that feeling of shame. It seems to last so much longer than the event or the initial consequences itself. That feeling of shame and of guilt. Now, guilt and shame are actually two different things. 
Guilt and shame are, are, are slightly different. They're, they're kind of in the same ballpark, and I may talk about them synonymously. I may talk about them as they're the same thing. We do that, especially in the Christian world, which is fine, but they're two different things. Um, guilt is, is actually like the fact, it's actually defined this way, the noun is the fact or state of having committed an offense. The verb form is to cause or to feel guilty. Shame, the noun form, is the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable. And the verb form is to cause or to feel shame or to make ashamed. Here's the difference between the two. Um, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy, unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Guilt is a sense of remorse and the desire to make amends. Shame, I want you to hear this. Shame is character-based. Shame is character-based. Guilt is event or action-based. Shame leads you and me to want to shrink or to hide. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Or to disappear. Have you ever felt that way? When you've done something wrong and you just want to be invisible? Like, man, I just wish I could disappear right now. So I weren't here, you know? That's what shame does. Guilt identifies an action that you regret, prompting you to change for the future. Guilt is based on what I've done. I want you to hear this. Guilt is based on what I've done. It's a status thing. Shame is based largely on who someone or who we or hopefully who God says that we are, because if we believe what God says that we are, there is no shame. See, shame drives at character. And that's why the enemy uses it to put us down and to try to keep us down and to try to keep us from joy. It's it's funny, my observation is, is that in the Christian community, when we hear about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, rising again from the dead, and when we hear about the fact that he takes our sins, that he took our sins to the cross, that our sins are no more. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. When we hear that, we can get our hearts and our minds around that for some reason a lot easier than we can this idea of shame. And that is is because we can understand cognitively that Jesus took our sin to the cross and that he changed our status. Because that's what guilt is. It's status. We move from a place of being guilty to being acquitted. We move from a place of being sentenced to a place of being free. We move from a place of being, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, un- unworthy of what we've done because of something that we've done to Jesus saying it is stamped okay, you're justified. And so we can get our minds and our hearts around the status change, but we're far less likely to deal with shame in our life, which can last for days and weeks and months and years and even decades. And the enemy knows that, Christ follower. He knows that, and he wants to use it to keep you down to push you around. He does it in different ways. He does it directly in some ways. Enemy's going to 
come at you directly. You, you may have, have some kind of experience where you feel like, man, I'm being attacked directly from the evil one, from Satan himself. He, he may use someone in your life, probably someone very important to you in your life to remind you of your past, to shame you. He may use the world to shame you. The world may look at you knowing that you're a Christian and point their finger at you and say, you shouldn't have done that. Look at what you've done, you hypocrite. That's who you are. That's what the world says. But it's Satan who's the one that's behind that. It's the evil one that's the one that's behind that. And the enemy will use your own mind to shame you. He will do it in crafty and cunning ways. But he does it to keep you down and to push you down. How do we, as Christ followers, go from a place that Jesus died for our sins and he was buried, buried, and those sins were taken away and he was raised to new life? How do we go from a place of that, the idea that, that we are guilty and that guilt leads to shame to a place where we are in a position to receive the joy that Jesus gives I want to give you four ways from Scripture. I believe that we can move from a place of feeling shame to a place of feeling joy as we are metaphorically but also physically because of what Jesus did raised to life. The first thing that we have to do is first we have to recognize that shame comes from Satan. It comes from the evil one. I've just talked a little bit about it. But we need to understand that the theology of this is, is that there is a fight between evil and good. There's a fight between good and evil. And behind that evil, behind that shame is Satan every single time. It doesn't matter where you receive that shame from, whether it's made up in your own minds, whether, whether, it, whether it comes from like deep within, whether it's someone else who says it, whether it's the world that says it, or whether it's Satan that just comes directly at you with that shame. It is from the evil one, make no mistake, it is from him. This is probably the area that I get tripped up the most. As I think that whatever the shame is, is coming from the source. The source is always Satan when we're dealing with shame. It's always the evil one. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, verse 12, is writing about spiritual warfare. He says in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Christ follower, I want you to hear today that the one who has brought you shame, listen to me, listen to me, don't forget this, the one who reminds you of, of how, how bad and pitiful you are, and drives at your character, and is always reminding you of that thing, it's not from them. From the evil one. They're just the messenger. They're just the messenger. Man, if we can put those lenses on, if we can have that line of sight, if we can have that perspective, that helps us to be able to forgive the one who's the messenger. Because he or she is just the one that's bringing the news that Satan wants to deliver to you, that the evil one wants to deliver to you. So it helps us to be able to forgive those who have shamed us. 
Genesis 3.10, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And many of you know the story. They're in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. They had one thing that they weren't supposed to do. One rule, one law. Can you imagine if in our society we had one law? I think we all collectively could do that, right? We could probably keep that. Probably not. (laughs) Given what happened to two people in the Garden of Eden. And they violated God's one rule. They ate from the tree. They ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's all kind of theology behind the, the name of that tree. It's amazing. It's for another message, I'm sure. But Genesis 3.10, when they noticed that they were now naked, verse 10 of Genesis 3 says, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, what's that next word? Afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. See, shame has existed since the beginning of humanity. It's always been here. And when we do something that will violate you know, a, a law or we do something to violate God or we do something to, to, to hurt someone else, what do we do? We hide, don't we? We hide it. We hide it because we're ashamed. Because we're afraid of what someone might think. I think I was about three years old when uh, my parents have told me this story. It's one of my, it's one of those, you know, memory burn memories. And I don't know if it's because I actually remember the story or if it's because my parents reminded me of this story so often. Probably the latter. But they tell the story, and I, and I do have like some vague memories of this at three years old, of them um, leaving the house and going down the block to visit some friends. And it was like one of the first times that they left me in the house. And, and um, while they were gone, I got a pair of scissors out. This is just like classic, like three-year-old stuff, right? I got a pair of scissors out, and I cut my hair. And I had floppy blonde hair as we lived in Florida, and I cut my hair. I cut a big V right in, right in my hair, right in the front. Like not in the back, not on the sides, but right in the front. It was a great style back then. really was. It was great. I'm going to bring it back now. Uh, but anyway, so I cut my hair, and, and the first thing that I did is realize that like I've got this hair that's on the ground, and I've got scissors. And the story that my parents have always told is, is that I took the, the, the hair and the scissors, and I hid it behind the the couch because I thought that that would be the thing that would prevent them from noticing <laughs> that I'd cut my hair, right? <laughs> they walk in and there's this big old V right in front of my blonde forehead, right? They already knew. They already knew. And I got in trouble because not only did I hide, but I also lied about it. I guess there was a trail of hair that was like going around to the couch, and they're like, hey, did you cut your hair? And I'm like, nope. So I got in serious trouble, because not only did I do something I wasn't supposed to do, but I also lied about it. See, here's the thing. I got in trouble. That was the consequence of it. But my parents didn't remind me about that. They told me this story about that when I was older. But they didn't remind me of that over and over and over and over again. And they didn't love me any less when they walked in and saw the trail of hair and the big V in my blonde forehead. They loved me just the same. I want you to know that it doesn't matter that that 
Shame is Satan's first tool. God loves you. And by the way, shame is Satan's first tool. God loves you, and he accepts you. And your shame is not going to hide your falling short before God. He knows it. He already sees it, right? And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. Shame is Satan's first tool. It's the first thing that he used. And Adam and Eve, they tried to hide, and it didn't work because God knew. We just have to understand that God knows, and he loves us regardless. He loves us regardless. There's an old saying. I love the old saying. It's when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future, because it doesn't work out too well for him in the end. The second thing that we need to do is we need to not... First and foremost, we need to recognize that shame comes from Satan. It comes from the evil one. But the second thing that we need to do is we need to realize that our God-given inherent worth, we need to realize our God-given inherent worth when we're faced with shame. You and I, when we're faced with something that we've done and the consequences of that, of that the feeling that we have after that, the long-term like character thing that seems to always be that weight on our shoulders pulling us down, that, and it drives at character for a reason. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. The evil one knows exactly what he's doing. And since it drives at character, then what we do is we tear down our self-worth. We begin to believe the lie that we are not worthy to be a child of God. Or we're not worthy of that other person. Or we're not worthy to be in that job. Not worthy, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And I want you to know that you have God-given inherent worth even when and even after you have fallen short, even after you've sinned. Genesis, all the way back before what we just read, Genesis 1, verse 27, says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. You have inherent worth by the fact that you were born and that you were created in the image of the almighty God. And the reason that you should be able to move to that next shot without any shame is because you and I were created in his image. Don't ever, ever, ever forget that you were created in his image. The Apostle Paul, in one of my favorite verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says that we are his workmanship. For we, he says, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. By the way, the, the, the word workmanship there, it's a word in the original language, in the Greek language, poema, which is a word that we get poem from. You're a piece of art. Do you get that? You're God's great piece of art. The world may tell you you're a piece of dirt, but you are God's great work of art which God prepared, he says, beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to do this. Maybe some of you need to do this. Maybe later today, maybe right now, maybe right where you are. 
Maybe you need to, to write this down. Maybe you need to remember this. Because sometimes the world speaks things to us that drives at our character and our shame because of what we've done, because of our past. And I want you to think about the fact that God created you in his image. And so what I want you to do is I want you to fill in the blank with this statement. Regardless of what blank says. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a thing. Regardless of what you fill in the blank says. I am worthy of God. Remember that. Remember that when someone tries to tear you down, when someone tries to upset your apple cart, when they drive at who you are and your character. Listen, the whole thing of shaming is real in today's culture. It is so incredibly real. And it doesn't just happen in eighth grade and in sixth grade and in second grade and as kids. It happens with adults too, doesn't it? And it's just because of sin. And so remind yourself of your worth and tell yourself the truth is that regardless of whatever it is that someone is saying, you are highly valued and worthy in God's eyes. So we need to realize, we need to, I guess, recognize that shame comes from Satan. Secondly, we need to realize that each of us have God-given inherent worth when we're faced with shame. Thirdly, we need to repent from the action that started the shame cycle. This is not a popular point in today's world, I get. And I realize that some things that, are, that you're being shamed with, don't, it's not born in sin. It doesn't come from sin. Maybe you're just a victim of some circumstance. So I realize this doesn't fit every situation, but if it does fit you, we can't, in our minds think that we're going to get over the shame that the evil one is trying to force upon us if we stay in our cycle of sin that brought about the shame. Does that make sense? We need to repent from the action that started this shame cycle. Shame is born from Satan, but it begins with sin. It often begins with sin. Peter's preaching to the people who would become the new church. They were the new church. In Acts chapter 2, And Peter, man, he was... He was a firecracker. He was a good old-fashioned preacher. He said this, Peter, in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. He said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people don't understand that word repent. You hear it in church, and it's intimidating, and it sounds judgmental. And all it means is to turn around, to do a 180, right? You're walking in one direction, and you realize It's not the right direction. And so you repent. You begin walking in the opposite direction. That's literally what the word means. It means a course reversal. So Peter here is imploring them to repent and be baptized. I love that baptism comes right after that over and over and over and over again in God's word in the New Testament. It's believe and be baptized. And part of the belief process is repenting of our sins, right? 
And so baptism comes right after that. And that, the, this whole series is based on Romans chapter 6 where Paul talks about baptism. We read it at the beginning. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, if it's been years since you were saved, it's not too late to, to be baptized. Baptism does not bring you salvation. Jesus did that work on the cross. But it is the first public identification that you are his. So I want to encourage you to be a part of it. Four o'clock down at Caligny next Sunday. Man, we're going to have a party down there. It's going to be great. We're going to have a good time. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to follow in believers' baptism so that you can demonstrate what's going on in your life. And maybe some of you have the picture of your shame being washed away when you go under that water for a few minutes. I mean, a few seconds. <laughs> Like, that's the picture that maybe you need to have, is that shame is being washed away. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Listen, if we keep sinning, Satan keeps winning, doesn't he? If we keep sinning, I know it's corny, if Satan keeps, if we keep sinning, Satan keeps winning. In other words, if we stay in that old sin cycle, then he's got more ammunition to keep bringing up the shame. So it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Listen, we, we had a week this week where we rested a bit as a family, recharged, took some time off. And God brought up a few things that I needed to face that sometimes bring me shame. We all go through this church. We all go through this Christ follower. And we need to turn away. We need to turn back or Satan will keep reminding us. Lastly, our last point is replace the shame of Satan with the joy of the Lord. This is the fun part. Replace the shame that Satan brings with the joy of the Lord, with the joy that is, is ours when we find ourselves in Jesus. See, once we've gone through this process, then we can just embrace what God's word says about what we have as part of our inheritance as children of the almighty God. And joy is one of those amazing things. See, we're raised to life. We can take that shame and put it to death and we can raise we can be raised to life through Christ and we can receive the joy that he gives the bible even all the way back in the old testament reminds us of what happens to our sins listen to this i love this david in psalm 103 verse 12 says as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us what you've done to cause that shame that Satan keeps bringing up, it is so far in the past, you'll never find it. It's as far as the east is from the west. Don't think about how far that is for too long. It'll hurt your brain, okay? You do that later, all right? You do it at lunch. Isaiah 50, verse 7. Man, I love this because in Isaiah, Isaiah is the story of God's people, the nation of Israel, who were unfaithful to him. They had reason to be shamed. And then in verse, in chapter 40, everything changes, and God is chastising them for, for you know, all these chapters through 40. And then at 40, everything changes, and he tells them who they are in him. And I love these couple verses Isaiah 50, verse 7 says, But the Lord helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Man, that's good news. 
verse 4 of chapter 54 says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. I love that. For you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widow, uh, widowhood. You will remember no more. Isaiah 61 verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Oh man, I love this verse. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. There it is right there. Right there. Joy is yours for the taking. Unless you think it's just an Old Testament principle, Colossians, the Apostle Paul here in three verses back to back, he disarmed, Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. We were in this chapter last week. He disarmed the rulers and authority and he put them to open shame. Not you. (laughs) He put the rulers and authorities to shame by triumphing over them in him. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become, listen to this, we might become the righteousness of God. When you accept Jesus as your savior, you are clothed in his righteousness. Shame is no more. So my question to you today is why are you carrying it? Why do you still carry the weight and the burden of shame? You don't have to. You don't have to. You can give that up right now. Are you tired Are you tired of carrying that weight of shame? Are you tired of carrying that heavy weight? You know, I love going to the beach with my family, but I like it a lot more now than when they were little because when they were little, I was the mule who carried the lunch and the toys and all the stuff. I was the one who carried it down, right? But now I've got Sydney and Sean and they're teenagers and um, like they can carry stuff, especially Sean, we just make him the mule now. He gets to carry it down to the beach by himself. No, we have a little cart now. But man, it's so much better than it was before. Listen, you can live in that freedom. You can move on to the next shot in your life with shame in the rearview mirror if you'll just let Jesus have that and walk in that newness of life. If you're tired of carrying the weight of shame, I want to pray with you right now. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would be with those who are in the sound of my voice, who may still be carrying the weight of shame for something that they did years ago perhaps even decades ago. Father, I pray right now that you would give them the ability to take that off of their shoulders and hand it to you. Right now, if you are carrying that weight of shame, 
if you're carrying that weight of shame and it's just driving, constantly picking at who you are and your character, I want to encourage you right now, just in the silence of this room, just in the silence of this moment, wherever you are, just to give it to Jesus. Just picture in your mind that heavy, heavy, heavy load, that backpack that's full, full of weight. Just hand it to him. Just give it to him. Just let him have it. He's already, he's already done all the work that needs to be done for you to be able to give it to him. It's time to stop carrying the weight of shame. Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, would you help us? Would you help each one of us, myself included, to realize that shame, oh man, it comes from the evil one. Mm. It's not directly coming from the one who's delivering the message. It comes from him. Help us to realize that we're in this spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Help us to understand that you've already done all the work that needs to be done. And help us in those moments when we feel overwhelmed by our past. God, may we remind ourselves of how much value you have for us, of how much value we have in your eyes, of how valuable we are to you. And God, I pray that we would realize what you did on the cross the beauty of baptism and what it represents. And God, I pray that we would carry that shame no more. Help us to have the strength and the power to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.